This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Frederick Lane coming to you from a warm place south of Florida this particular week. And I am an educational consultant, an attorney, and an author based normally in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Normally, I am joined by my co-host, Jethro Drones of the Transformative Principle, uh, because we enjoy bringing timely, entertaining, and useful information to parents, teachers, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Uh, Jethro is on the road today, so I am uh, filling in on my own and bravely testing my recording capabilities, and hopefully we'll actually get this out into the world. A couple of other minor details before I introduce my guest for today. Uh, I would like to remind everybody, the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. And you will certainly be hearing a lot more about the center over the course of the fall because we have a terrific board that is going to help us ramp up our activities in that particular sphere. Our guest today, Scott Rabinowitz, is in fact one of those board members, and he's here to talk today with me about the ethics of advertising to uh, the millions upon millions of people who enjoy video games and what some of the implications of that might be. So, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Fred. It's a pleasure, and uh, I hope you're enjoying um, uh, the the south of Florida uh, weather conditions <laughs> to the degree possible. I have no complaints. I'm I'm above six thousand feet here in Colorado Springs, where I'm home based um, and the business is based. But uh, um, while everything seems to be wet 
uh, windy or burning in most places. <laughs> I, I am minding my P's and Q's because uh, we, we've had a relatively tame season. But uh, oh, that's good to uh, hear. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, um, so it's a pleasure to be here. This is, I believe, my second time uh, having the good fortune of being a guest um, uh, for Cyber Traps, and uh, I believe the first time since um, getting more deeply involved um, with the Center for Cyber Ethics. Um, uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, I've had the good fortune of working uh, with Fred and collaborating and exchanging ideas for two decades on all manner of things that culminate uh, in our mutual interest and deep passion for advancing um, all of the uh, objectives of both cyber traps as well as the, the Center for Cyber Ethics. Um, I, yeah, I certainly think, Scott, you're one of my longest standing uh, contacts and colleagues in this space. So it's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it's really a treat you know, when you look at kind of the interweavings of our activities that we keep coming back and touching base in different ways. And now, of course, we have this opportunity to really focus uh, deeply on some of the issues that we've each been working on for, for sure. 20 plus years. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, um, I'm, I'm with you in some of our discussions many times with regards to uh, not only continuous education and improvement, but evolution. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so that that's actually the perfect segue into our topic today, because as we were discussing before we went on the air, we we emerged from or or first began working together in an environment that we thought was the definitive 800 pound gorilla of technology which was the rise of the online adult industry in the late 90s and early 2000s mm -hmm. but that 800 pound gorilla has been swamped by shall we say an 8000 pound gorilla which yes. is gaming and yes. so you know that's really our topic for today because when you know, actually, this is relevant to your neck of the woods, unfortunately, that when a fire gets large enough, it starts to generate its own weather patterns. Yes. And that really is exactly <laughs> what gaming has has happened with gaming, that it's it, become so enormous that it's creating its own ecosystems. Its own ecosystems in every way that you measure um, uh, commerce and culture. Um and in the for the for the benefit of rounding out for um, uh, for the folks, I realize I didn't do a a proper intro. I've I've had the good fortune of doing uh, digital advertising on behalf of um, brands and companies since we were all on dial up and miserable. Um, <laughs> and a half decades ago. <laughs> so if you thought it was miserable trying to download a video, imagine if it was part of your job to upload said material. Um, that Can't even the, begin to imagine. Yeah. No, they, they, the first company I worked for was called Website Story. Um, mm. Yes, exactly. Cute, as, cute name. <laughs> it's, uh, um, to the, the data geeks, um, at the digital data geeks, um, the, the name website story may have folklorish uh, value, but what it would be more commonly known as today, um, quite recognizably in the enterprise um, analytics and traffic world, this is Adobe Analytics. Um, oh, no kidding. This was the greatest low paying job I have ever had in my life, um, life changing. I went mm. to work for, I, I had a, a cubicle at an internet company, which in the late 90s seemed like a, a dream come true. You're actually going sure. to need to surf this new medium. Um, 
I had specific responsibilities, um, but the, the the most significant takeaway from that experience was the uh, one an introduction to even at that stage, the actual top-down ecosystem that actually powers this uh, crazy internet thing that is really, it's amazing that it works at all ever. <laughs> if, you, if you think about all the opportunities and points of failure and cooperation that you sure. know, coexist, just to be able to uh, buy a pair of shoes or, uh, or submit an opinion, it is actually amazing that it works. But um, since I've spent most of the last 30 years um, spending other folks um, hard-earned money on the advancement of either their brand cause um, or direct e-commerce or lead generation for companies from the salacious and the adult entertainment space in the very early days, um, mm -hmm. all the way on through to um, major corporate brands. And then most recently, um, I'm, I'm actually stepping into a capacity um, through my consultancy to support uh, the the Renoir Group, which is um, operating. Awesome. Um, they're a management consultancy in 30 different disciplines. Um, mm. Is uh, um, It is, uh, I would argue, will be the next household name. That's the glass half full marketer speaking <laughs> forward. <laughs> the, um, their practice areas range from retail and various segments of energy and oil and gas to um, at the ESG and a wide variety of areas actually where, so here's the grand irony and why I, I love coming back to an environment like this is um, regardless of whether it's a commercial objective, consumer minded, business to business minded, um, social objective, entertainment objective or otherwise, what I've come to the conclusion of after almost 30 years of being behind the scenes is that um, most entities, no matter how formal or tasteful or uh, that they may go about things, have the same needs. Mm. Um, a, right. a, a merchant is a merchant. A publisher is a publisher. Um, and uh, the while there may be all kinds of rules, nuances, and dynamics that have, are unique to audiences and industries and genres, um, I've been hearing the same commercial requests the all the way through, uh, regardless of the subject matter at hand. So um, to your point, what's ironic is the uh, other than cat videos, which uh, um, lands it's, it's in its own special category in terms of the... <laughs> terms of the density of populating the internet with content, right? Like yes. Sort of the, 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 the overall macro library of what we can find, which is, um, has been outrageous since day one. Um, so let's put this point of view. I, I want to, uh, I'll get into a full descriptive, but I want to throw out a phrase for the benefit of us and the group today. Um, uh, gaming adjacent content. Sounds like something actually an attorney for a marketing agency would say. <laughs> it's, uh, that, that is that is very well put. So gaming, I think we all have our hand on. So what's gaming adjacent? Gaming adjacent content is literally where all of the recorded streams of the many, many endless hours that we've screamed at our children to try and minimize in front of their various game devices and platforms. Well, in addition to the time that they spent viewing while engaged um, as gamers, mm -hmm. uh, they and many more folks, as it turns out, uh, um, have 
we've been hearing more and more about the peculiar interest in being um, a, an observer or fan of gaming. Um, let's put this into quantified context. There are on Twitch, which is perhaps lesser known to some folks, but to uh, to folks that are in the um, the target range of the early teen years, all the way on up to mature adults that are still very much participating in gaming culture, but still where I would call it the the, the number one pure play platform. For Can I students. just in, interject real quickly? I mean, I, I, I do have to give a shout out to my wife who had questioned the use of the word mature in that particular <laughs> Which, exactly. I don't want to get her in trouble, but... No, no, mature, mature is, uh, is relative, um, but it relates to the reality of segmentation, um, at least by purposes of defining sure. um, of legal age or even uh, what might be responsible age, which is right. its own can of Well, work. of course, that, that comment comes from a college professor. So yes, who, who would probably be loath to think of whether it be a 40-year-old student or a 20-year-old student idling hours away, uh, uh, or a 10 year old child for that matter on either watching or creating gaming content. But right. Although to be fair, as you describe that, Scott, and I think that's a really, you know, it's, it's a really useful explanation for people. The idea that kids are going to literally watch other gamers going through the games and figuring out how to do stuff. But now I realize looking in my own YouTube viewing habits that that I'm fond of what you would probably describe as cooking adjacent content. Correct. Well, no, of, it's it, yeah. it, it's it the irony is the notion of adjacent content is really vicarious indirect participation. Yes, right. Is the is the essence of video even predating digital oh, the video. The number of bread internet. making videos I've watched. I yes, <laughs> no, no, it, 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 exactly. Um, but the the perception for so long was if the 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 potential risk areas or threats or concerns, etc., were just the agonizing consumptive hours by the gamers themselves. Right. Right. Um, Twitch has been around for a, less than a handful of years is mainstream to folks that are into not only into gaming but specifically live connected streaming games which have been popular now for quite a few years but mm -hmm. uh, taking full advantage of interconnectedness whether it's on a game console um a handheld uh a, 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 a smartphone um, or a traditional computing device but mm -hmm. um twitch alone on any given day um in any given minute of any given day has two and a half million people just watching other people's gameplay. Twitch, <laughs> this is- I mean, it's, it's a staggering number. It, it is, it is. A and uh, it, it relates to that vicarious truth of um, the, 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 I mean, it, gaming being a spectator sport and mm -hmm. all of it. But for the context of today, we're looking at it actually from sort of a, how big is the gaming footprint that right. parents so, and educators might want to care about? Well, and I think we'll we'll certainly get to that because I, I sure. think that's hugely relevant. But I guess my my question, just to make sure I understand, because I actually haven't been on Twitch myself and mm -hmm. you know I'm aware of it, but Twitch is is a platform I I understand a little bit like YouTube, in which you have multiple channels or 
uh, you know, a whole variety of content producers. So those 2.5 million people are not all watching the same thing. It's a fragment. That is correct. It yeah. is it, it is a broad scale creator network. And I intentionally use the term creator network that everybody mm -hmm. living in the, uh, um, uh, either from a consumer or a professional standpoint can relate to from any other sector. Um, I would argue that, uh, so Twitch has gamers. Twitch has gaming leagues, gaming organizations, publishers of games, and they all play an interconnected um, piece to the ecosystem. Um, and in fact, to that point, so to give a little bit of an understanding of what um, I actually have some, I, I was looking at, like I say, I've spent a long time doing this, um, mm -hmm. but yet at the same time, I've been rather shocked by the scope of um uh, organization. I mean, we think of Facebook groups for topics that we may have interest in as being, well, that's smart. They, they bring us all together for sure. our, our value and maybe they can effect greater value in theory um, to Facebook in, in terms of any revenue sharing for ads that may get placed or commerce sure. or what have you. By way um, of example, and I'm sure everybody has their own example, I, I do this running streak, you know, where I run exactly. at least a mile each day. And so there's a streak runners association group mm -hmm. and people get on there. They talk about their streaks. They talk about races. They're doing injuries that they're ignoring so that they can keep running. But of course, it's such a perfectly targeted group for shoes for you know muscle tapes for whatever you know because exactly. it's a coalesced group of people with a shared interest and that's and and so here's the irony as it relates to gaming um and many other areas certainly but the the presence on a facebook a twitter and instagram etc is actually an amplification of source content that's coming from further upstream. Um, okay, okay, so can you unpack that a little bit? Yes. What exactly do you mean by that? So for example, um, we're gonna break down what a um, one, one of the top gaming organizations or orgs looks like. <laughs> um, and gaming orgs, while informal, can literally be a cooperative on up to a corporation, depending on who actually has a long tail broad uh, based understanding like the the hmm. notion okay. that it's, it's just pick uh, um, speculatively co uh, cooperatives of players and and uh, and people from within the ecosystem only not necessarily but to give this a a, a a visualization so there's a gaming organization called optic gaming um they are world class they have a um a um, a dedicated fan base and offer compelling ways to authentically connect with an audience. That phrase obviously literally could describe any connected target <laughs> audience. And right. so hence we're looking at this from the standpoint of this is the marketer's lens and the agency's lens and the brand owner's lens um, for folks that actually want to reach um, the gamer, whether that gamer be you, your children, your neighbors, et cetera. Optic gaming, um, so this is where it's kind of a unique yin and yang with numbers. There are only 41 core players or creators, if you will, um, that are focused, but everything and everybody within these organizations is curated. Um, so there are 41 key players. Mm -hmm. there are 
There are seven esports teams represented that follow the traditional context of team sports with brand recognition and the like from Little League and Pee Wee in the physical world on up to <laughs> collegiate and professional sports. Um, oh. But this is where it gets interesting is in addition to all of the reach, impact, presence, push and pull that they're capable of exclusively within their gaming environments, um, Optic Gaming through its players and esports teams has a social reach um, of almost 8 million Twitter followers, three and a half million Instagram followers, and a little over 4 million TikTok followers. Jesus. Those are amplification points for the amplification that's already going on because the content's actually being created from within the realm of gaming, whether they're attached to a Twitch or a YouTube. And uh, I do want to cover YouTube because it's the, while Twitch is less familiar, YouTube, as one might expect, since it's generally the largest collection of any type of content, it is also the largest collection of gaming adjacent content as well. And thus um, Alphabet, um, the parent company of Google and Google's, um, the, the Google ads, I still call it Google AdWords, that dates me a bit. But <laughs> right, right. The, uh, that business model um, is still alive and well. And in fact, advertisers um, uh, from the, the world's largest networks, such as um, from the Google ads platform, reaching uh, all the way across the socioeconomic and cultural spectrums to people that are just purely interested in gaming. But that's one organization that's living in the gaming world that quite literally, even without taking a deep dive in their background, it doesn't matter whether it's a group of MBAs from the ivory tower that are running this, who are getting advice from their teenage kids who actually have the subject matter expertise, <laughs> right, um, right. or if it's actual master gamers that have figured out how to, just like in all professions and in all facets of life, um, galvanize interest, organize interest, um, and even centralize for economy of scale. Why, why do they have an, like, why would they do this? First, gaming is about individuality for a lot of people too. So it's like, why give up your individuality to be part of associations and organizations? And it's, it's everything fr from it's everything from pride and recognition to sense of belonging and money and money <laughs> and revenue. Right. So I want I do want to give you so uh, people talk about what are the reasons why people play, regardless of across age range, um, the top six specifically. And a couple of them are going to be obvious. A couple of them are a little less obvious. This is based upon data that's being aggregated by um, several of the uh, data suppliers that support the programmatic advertising world. So if you want to reach a particular subset, these data sets exist to be able to target campaigns on any network. But of the top of the six reasons most profoundly measured for why people uh, prefer to play games with others specifically, whether that's mm -hmm. online or in person. Um, so thankfully, a little bit of good news on a uh, on this fine Monday morning. Um, having fun. <laughs> so having fun is actually still at the top of the list. So the glass is half full. I actually think it's important for people to know that up front. Most yeah, people are yeah. waiting for the shoe to drop on these types of bits of the <laughs> subject matter. Um, 
unwinding follows in, in second right. place. Um, where it starts to get to those Pandora's box questions, though, that invoke um, potentially having concern on behalf of others and uh, people in their decision-making capabilities and age, et cetera, um, escape mm. and, and escape from reality by however right. you define that from day-to-day -day life um, is the third most significant mm. uh, draw to interactive gaming um, and that's across both children and adults, um, right. use, use of gray matter. Um, so again, another win for the half full side, um, <laughs> actually flex, flexing the brain, um, right. if, if you will, is in fourth place. Um, not surprising. I mean, we've now seen what are in effect, no disrespect to the creators, but glorified adult games that have very significant intentional purposes to stimulate parts of our brain to function sure. more consistently or better. But they're but they are delivered in the packaging and format, content-wise, as a game. Right. Um, well, and, and and actually, there's been a lot of studies about the gamification of the aging brain for specifically that reason. It's a much easier uh, adoption pitch absolutely you know in it, terms it's um it, it softens it actually takes the sharp uh corners and rounds them on yeah, processes yeah, um yeah i i, I completed a, a mortgage uh refinance process recently and uh, their app developer very clearly had a gaming background um, <laughs> it, the the user interface was much more elegant and intuitive to how somebody who likes to use a platform versus how a bank uh, or a, a stodgy old financial institution might typically have had similar apps created in the past. Um, so here are the other two areas though that, so that the bottom two of the top six are the areas of, of concern um, or can be concern slash opportunity. Um, mm, okay. Comfort. So the, the, the fifth most significant why they play reason is comfort. And comfort, if you're talking to That's a mental health professional, could mean a plethora, obviously. Um, and even any of the school counselors that belong to any of the fine organizations that you've worked with over the years and the like. Mm -hmm. um, and right there with comfort, not surprisingly, but very important for people to understand because this is about kids as well as adults connection hmm. and connection is open-ended that i mean we we presume we're going to use broad base to keep it tasteful and and whatnot but connection obviously can run the spectrum from i just want to be able to chat with or engage in the same activities with like-minded folks to gosh i'd love to find a mate who's that really <laughs> right. um, the, uh, well, or and being receptive to uh, th that's the point of con of consideration is if there are folks that are genuinely looking for connection mm -hmm. as part of the process of being engaged. And that's literally while they're watching other people's video game play. So in the same sense, like to relate back to your watching of cooking uh, content, <laughs> if you were speaking to the, um, the professor in the house yes. at the same time, uh, about the same subject matter, you were technically enhancing your connection through the content experience. Well, and we certainly do. And and I, I don't, I don't um, 
I don't think that point has gotten enough credit, right? I mean, the the mythology of gaming is very much what you alluded to earlier, that it is this isolating block element. Right? It's absolute a... loner, right? And as gaming has gotten more sophisticated, it's logical that community would be an outgrowth of that increasing sophistication because that's a natural impulse for humans in general. And community also- and the desire for it. And at every level from, I want to belong to a, to a, a, a right. group, a neighborhood, a block, a, a, or, and up and up and up and, further. And- but but to be clear, not not to give gaming companies too much altruistic credit. Sure, community builds engagement and keeps That's people exactly involved for a longer period of time. And you know, certainly with especially one of my two boys, mm-hmm. you know, there's absolutely no question that when he was in relatively physically isolated circumstances, he was using gaming as a way to maintain a community. Um, the two most immediate downsides were the amount of time he wanted to be engaged in that community and the global nature of it, right? Because these games can be played with people all over the world. If your best buddy is time shifted six hours ahead or behind you, your sleep pattern may go to your sleep patterns, your all of your functional lifestyle patterns. Oh, uh, tell me about and, it. We lived with <laughs> so we just so we just poked fun at the notion of it being in the case of a gamer, and yet the irony is the the parallel of working as um, uh, uh, even media adjacent professionals in a connected global era. Oh. We're living that reality and uh, do late and very early. Uh, connected calls sure. the uh so oh, yeah. it's uh, yeah. it, it comes full circle like the uh even though you, you're still the parent the um the 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 kids that are coming up um uh, will literally have the right to say um excuse me you zoom addicted freak um, <laughs> who are you to talk to me about how much time i'm spending talking to my buddies about what interests me when it, granted, in the context of work, it may not necessarily be be buddies and interests, but it it follows the construct. I mean, it's a, and at this point, being that we've gotten accustomed to being able to literally have a sentient transactional work, family, spiritual, academic, and social experiences, like even if because of divine intervention or the universe over the last right. couple of years. Um, the rest of the world has actually kind of been brought to the reality that uh, gamers were um, disrespected for for so long. Um, yes, true. And and certainly, you know, the point about adult or parental hypocrisy, however, whichever group you want to put that in, <laughs> the, number, the number one complaint when kids are asked about their parents' technology use is that they feel ignored. You know, they feel like they're not getting enough interaction with their parents who are directly there. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors. My favorite visual articulation of this is the, um, the, the, the smartphone sixth finger parent that never puts the smartphone down that quite literally will look up for a nanosecond from their smartphone, but not actually put it down while they're telling their child 
to put down their console or their smartphone. But then literally before the child's even had a chance to respond, <laughs> they're back to doom scrolling. Um, <laughs> the parent, and it, it's yeah. just sort yeah. of a, um, we need to take a step back and realize. Um, so it's, so one thing I, so a couple of points I wanna make. My purpose of this is not to unmask and say that what all marketers are doing or what the marketing industry is doing in terms of making uh, economic use of gaming adjacent content is, is all bad or evil. My, the, the biggest takeaway that I'm hoping for people to have today, um, and we still have a few more points to cover too, but mm -hmm. I want to bring, I, I definitely want to bring this kind of, a. it's actually, it's more important that people sort of embrace that this is here. It's larger than one might expect from a structural point of view, um, as a construct in society. And it's heavily, heavily organized as we described before, just in describing one informal gaming organization that by the way, Optic Gaming, um, in addition to the, the massive fans and all of the different things that they have going on, they're, um, they're exceeding the, the revenue of 90% of all of the startups that launched in America last year, um, you know, so it's yeah. uh, the, and it's not because, and, and they're not even at the top end of things, but in terms of order of magnitude, a, a mom and pop business in a gaming environment, even if you're just harnessing gaming content, while this may seem like a, uh, like a labor of love um, gig experience for somebody who just wants to monetize their gaming interests. Um, make no mistake, there are folks of all ac uh, academic and professional disciplines that have come into it for its um, economic and uh, communicative potentials, because in some cases, um, uh, similar to things that we've seen in a, a past life, um, mm -hmm. uh, the sometimes the uh, the partners to the brands or the affiliates from the days of old. Sure. Uh, what the, the, basically, the, the student becomes the teacher, if you will. So some of the gaming organizations may actually have a better business plan at this point than some of the world's largest gaming companies and more agility to be able to weather the storms because they're not corporations. And that's a tremendously familiar story when you look at the online ecosystem in general. That, yes. you, know, you know, the advantage, of course, is if you're smaller and more nimble, you can adapt to these new technologies. In some cases, your business model is driven by a technology that these older, more established companies have barely grasped. And I think Twitch is a perfect example of that. You well, it, it, exactly. It's well, it's it's sent no surprise. There are um, unique measurement metrics for this environment. Of that, course. <laughs> uh, it, it, granted, they pull from the notion of, of um, content creators, period. But um, I mean, this is this gets down to the clinicality and specificity of it all. I mean, it's a, in a gaming channel, um, a brand or a media buyer or a marketing director or somebody who has um, proverbial business skin in the game to care, um, they're interested in reach, so that's not unique. They're interested in watch time. And, mm. and they use the term watch time rather than uh, just viewership um, because the perception is that the, and this goes beyond uh, my pay grade in terms of um, um, uh, brain science training. However, 
unequivocally, the reason for using the term watch time has been because the, um, the, the, the type of engagement that somebody has, even if they're spectating a video game, they're still concentrating in a, a vicarious proxy-like way because they can relate to what's actually involved in the actual being the game player, even though they're not engaged in it. So it's they're sort not of a point of, it's a point of view approach to the activity that, that's on it, the screen. It, and right. can feel to, for some, it's, it would be the equivalent of the, like somebody sitting in the passenger seat of somebody driving a really exciting, crazy road race. Um, sure. One right. could argue is both a spectator and a participant in a manner of speaking. Right, or, or a point of view of the Tour de France or something like that. Exactly, exactly. But where they're, they're uh, th that, I think we've all become a little bit passive depending on the, the nature of the subject matter when we, when we put something on the screen, whether it's a small screen or a big screen to entertain ourselves. Um, the expectation is that a gamer will be, they may be watching gaming sometimes to relax, but even when they're relaxing, they're paying nuanced attention to how the game is being played. Right, it's not right. just yeah. the story <laughs> arc itself. I mean, it's uh, so they care and the top creators matter, the top games that are watched, um, which would be akin to movie titles or television program titles and the like. So um, one could call this a social ecosystem, but I would say that this is a mashup between a social ecosystem and now, um, as, as you like, as we keep going through these terms, if this sounds a little bit like how Hollywood might look underneath the hood, <laughs> it's not a far-fetched analogy. I mean, it's a, you have entities and individuals that are being compensated um, mm -hmm. for their skills in either aggregating audience, um, uh, being creators or the actual uh, sources of content. Um, and then all of the logistics of matching them together. Um, the depth, scope, and scale. I mean, I remember hearing three or four years ago, pre-pandemic, but still in the streaming era, um, certainly, that gaming had already surpassed film sales without question. I mean, the Hollywood box office is surpassed by gaming. That was looking at the time on people... Uh, that was with aggregate with um, people and non-connected games, um, desktop games. and, and mm -hmm. um, Right. So this is a whole different thing. I think the figure I saw when we were prepping for the show was mm -hmm. that by 2025, the economic prediction is that this will be a $257 billion space. That... Uh... That's not at all unreasonable. And uh, I know that may seem magnanimous for some uh, in I'm, terms well, of scope, but it's basically, you know, probably putting you into the top 30 of the world's economies at that point. Correct. Uh, at top 30 of the world's economies, uh, top by measurement of genres of content or um, subject yeah. matter or intellectual interest. Um, a so couple. let me ask you this, Scott, sure. just to jump right to the chase, because when you've got that amount of money at stake, mm -hmm. you have ethical issues. You have yes. <laughs> you have ethical issues in terms of who is being advertised to, what kind of advertisements are they being shown, what kind of methods are being used to attract eyeballs. 
What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you're talking about all of the gaming adjacent activity. What are the risks in your view? So the good people news, to be aware of. Yeah, for sure. So the good news is, is that the, the largest of the gatekeepers were already established advertising gatekeepers uh, in other environments where uh, even if the nuances around gaming and the quantity of um, different age groups represented obviously is of great significance. Um, for example, Alphabet, um, Google's parent, they've obviously, regardless of whether people think that Google has overall done a great job or an okay job <laughs> or no yeah. job at all. <laughs> no no exactly i mean yeah. I, I i've been buying media from them since they had a fax machine which they still strongly deny uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they the, the reality is it's very challenging for a media for an ad supported media company or media organization um to uh, of course they're going to take core considerations for uh, youth safety in mind and um, public safety, um, because this isn't just a youth safety matter. I mean, the, as we spoke about before, there's a percentage of the people that are literally on these platforms looking for various forms of companionship and are perhaps extra receptive if somebody can portray themselves as being like-minded uh -huh. different than in any other environment if you sound like you're you're like me i'm more likely to forego my stranger danger uh considerations whether or I'm grooming concerns right i mean adults. that's yeah, that's absolutely. a whole separate that's a whole separate show for us to do at some point yeah but it but there but there is criticality to that and i mean so so a couple of things with this so um if you count the adults in the mix, um, this is the one number and, and why the answer to your question matters so much. So uh, at least as of uh, two months ago, when this was being looked at, um, between consoles and handheld and smartphones, which smartphones now dominate without question because it, of the portability and the privacy factor. As right. much as big as the Xbox is as a phenomenon, the Xbox is still something that's tethered to a device in the house that mom can come look at <laughs> <laughs> or dad or whomever. Um, so much like consumption of communications, uh, private communications and entertainment content and news and what have you, um, uh, the portability and privacy of the mobile device does matter. But that said, there are 215 0.5 million gamers in the United States. They're at last count. I, I believe that the entire population of the United States is only a little less than double that. No, so, or actually it's about a hundred million less than the U S population. We're currently at about three fifteen. So I was being generous. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so two thirds of, yes. of the country, two thirds of the country whether they self-classify or not, are gaming. Mm -hmm. um, because this does include everybody's old classic legacy games of Farmville and all of that that, that they did. Like, <laughs> Oregon Trail, Oregon Trail. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I, I still I, I still reminisce uh, longingly for games that were inserted by cartridge into a Commodore VIC-20 from a, a million years ago. And um, the, 
You are now Smithsonian worthy, Scott. That's <laughs> that, that was uh, the great thing about those all-in-one uh, uh, ancient dinosaur devices, though, is that they could also be used to whack an intruder across the head um, if well, he were ever in trouble. There you go. But I can I can one up you on that because my grandfather, who's the least computer-oriented person I knew, um, for reasons utterly unknowable bought one of the original Pong games and we hooked it up to a black and white TV with an yes. oval screen. <laughs> yes. Now, there so. is, I, I take great pleasure in that. Uh, and, and so the irony is that the nostalgic feelings we may have for Pong. Sure. Without question, people now have millions of times over for titles that even if they're not uh, um, in on the the back of our tongue, um, Theft Auto One or something, <laughs> World of Warcraft and and, and the Doom. like. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple things related to what are the the ethical implications or considerations. So, um, I'm not saying to, that Big Brother is always the best choice, um, but the the reason why I'm giving uh, I gave a shout out a, a positive shout out to Google uh, and Alphabet mm. in this case is they already had fairly rigid well established practices even if they're in continuous improvement at all times uh, towards um, restricting access to inappropriate content by the wrong audiences whether that be age based or otherwise um the but they don't have they don't have control of all of the channels right they don't they don't control twitch for instance th this is correct exactly so um from the standpoint first of all from a marketer um because just like you can in every other part of media as a marketer myself or a client or anybody else in the sphere if they either work for a brand or represent a brand and are trying to get ad placement they can either go through a very large aggregator or all the way on down in, through the ecosystem if they can and if it's available to a direct contact um, you know, to within the, the relationship with the publisher or the source of traffic. Um, in this case, it would be the source of content and the audience environment baked around it. The, the biggest things at this stage, because of the fact that the gaming organizations are um, self-governing types mm -hmm. of entities and the like. Um, so something that stood out most significant and with the, uh, with the time that we have left. So um, big ethical consideration. Um, so the presumption is that, um, um, I mean, we've always gone with age filtering being uh, for the internet being sort of a, <laughs> <laughs> it defined that you were either of age or not of age. But as we know, in all other genres of media, entertainment and society, you, um, it, it, it's not an, uh, a monolith. And the mm. difference between a 14 to 16 year old versus an eight year old obviously is tremendous. So I asked a question and I'll be I'll even be fair and not name the uh, the ad targeting vendor in question, because I don't believe that they're unique in this. OK. Field. Um, okay. But I asked one of the larger vendors of, uh, of gaming ad targeting data that could be used by anybody to float ads across the internet in that big brothery way. Oh, I know you're a gamer and let me show you uh, what, what I think you may want to see. Um, the ability to subfilter beyond what was required for 
the end user to be on the device, the platform, or the title. So um, obviously, uh, whether that's web, console, or otherwise, um, there's a primary gatekeeper, whether it's an app store um, or a, a, a walled garden operator right. or the right. like. Um, but from an ad level, though, I, I raised the question um, during a recent interaction whether or not the advertiser um, can, uh, or whether or not the advertiser can define not just the, uh, the obvious that they want to try and convince people of, regardless of whether it's um, uh, um, minors or not, um, for that level of segmentation. But the flag that stood out, and I'm, I, I've been delicate about this, but the, um, I was told specifically that certain ad targeting vendors can cannot guarantee age filtering within the walled garden. So as long as they meet the standard of what's acceptable to show to minors, which could literally be all the way on up to the age of 18, right. the notion of age appropriateness of advertising content that gets injected into the system is not being given the same level of uh, demographic targeting depth that in my opinion, at least would up the ante of comfort uh, for yeah. a lot of people. That, it, uh, that was a surprise. I, I'll be honest with you. I was shocked by the answer that they couldn't do deeper age segmentation because I can, when I'm targeting adults and I'm trying to sell um, lifestyle products or services for a, a major uh, bespoke luxury brand, I'm not just defining that they're over 21. I'm clearly interested in defining what subset of the adult population they're in, um, not just for fiscal efficacy, um, but for the moral and ethical considerations. And we'll even leave moral out of it because that's highly subjective. Sure, um, but but ethical is a legitimately grounded word. Correct. Terms, if, they, if, yeah. if you can't, if I'm the operator of an environment and I'm, I have control over what content, including ad content that my users, fans, groups, and, and all of the layers of ecosystem see, um, I think that it, it it behooves those organizations to step up sooner rather than later for doing age appropriate segmentation, because what it sounds like now, while there's not a risk that something of an explicit or obscene nature is going to be shown to um, to a person underage. Um, that's a pretty low bar. It's a very low bar when you think about the it's it because it's not just the products and services, of course, Scott, but it's also the values that are in embedded. The dialogue and the engage exactly. The, yeah. as, as, as part of these experiences, people are going to um, literally imbue uh, players and 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 faux players and fans and pundits and the like, and their tone of voice, which has been scripted and choreographed mm -hmm. by the ad agencies and the brands. Um, if that's not being cross-checked for being uh, what we'll call truly age-appropriate beyond what the law requires, because that's really the, the yeah. essence of what brings this all together is what it, the, what the law requires is actually not enough at this point as it relates to the segmentation of gaming-adjacent content to kind of bring this to a head. Um, the Interesting vast, point, yeah. The vast majority of the imprint of gaming content in terms of its accessibility um, to, to in, in particular to the youth 
um, uh, and to folks that uh, may otherwise um, not have the ability or are perceived to not have the ability yet to make their own informed choices. Um, we're not actually the gaming ecosystem, except for the environments that are controlled by the larger media entities. It's a, a catch as catch can as to whether or not um, compliance is treated as a significant priority versus yeah. a we'll do our best. Right. Well, let me let me do this, Scott, because I think really this is the this is the peak of the iceberg that we're going to really need to dig into. And, and I think you're raising a ton of great points for the center's work going forward in terms of parsing out the distinctions between legal, ethical, and moral, all of which Please. are slight variations on the same thing. But let me give you a chance to close with any thoughts you have for parents and educators in terms of being aware of these issues and and to the extent that they can providing protection to their younger children in particular for sure um probably the most significant thing would be uh regardless of where um kids are actually watching gaming content um as opposed to in being engaged in gaming um um, educators, parents, and people in authority um, and in positions of care um, uh, and, and uh, duty of care um, should never assume that gaming content is the most erroneous thing that I hear all the time. And, and this needs to be cleared up and needs to be reinforced constantly, actually, is um, there are educators and parents alike that presume that gaming advertising or anything else that would be seen within the gaming content ecosystem would be absolutely appropriate. And um, from an age point of view, a culture point of view, a however you want to measure, but where nobody's being in, trying to be injected with uh, ideology, let alone inappropriateness, um, that assumption should not be made. Um, and, and, and I don't say that from the, and I don't mean yeah. to scare people, the, yeah. the, but it's, uh, the, and it's not even to say for sure that that's problematic in the newer, uh, village like ecosystems that exist. Um, it can exist anywhere, but again, there is so much gaming adjacent content, video recordings, um, live streams of people playing games that include conversation and ad hoc comments. So it's everything from product placement considerations and the rules for such to what messaging to um, if the if the is the brand advertiser actually moderating their speech to be appropriate for nine year olds versus sixteen year olds, or are the oh shits coming out? This is this isn't just whether or not yeah. your child is at yeah. risk of of a stranger danger. This is even more pedestrian grade stuff that just relates to. You, the you language they hear. <laughs> correct, exactly. You yeah. don't want gaming culture and the consumption of it as media interfering and, and actually creating a bridge between all other ways that you're actually, you as an educator or as a parent are um, at, um, engaging your child with the world. I think that's that's really, really smart, Scott. And I, I would offer from my own perspective, having worked on this uh, general field for a while, that probably the single most significant thing that a parent could do 
mm -hmm. is to periodically sit down and co-consume this Correct. media with their child. And without you know, question, they, even <laughs> in the same way, you know, we we I, I still remember blowing on something and tasting it before handing it off to my child. And uh, in a manner of speaking, to, <laughs> to use a very analog analogy, we most yes. people most people at some point did um, uh, in a very tactile sniff test find. gaming content um which that's that's following behind and growing and growing and growing um uh is actually the largest collection of material that may or may not it's fun but it may or may not be um as consistently um as consistently comfortable for everybody's standards of keeping their uh, their um, their kids uh, um, safe and also uh, with the most open-minded views possible. Um, I mean, it's a, a the one last bit I'm going to throw into this. Um, make no mistake that one of the other things that can and should be um, looked at um, because it's amalgamated in these environments. Um, gamers are not all. It, gamers do uh, do not necessarily universally all support each other. There is bully culture, oh, which we've been trying so. so hard to eliminate in the brick and mortar physical terrestrial world. Um, uh, the parents, uh, everything that you want to make sure that your child is ahead of the curve on in the physical world, make no mistake that there is an equivalency, not only in the digital, but even specifically now in the subset of um, the entertainment and digital world that is gaming. Oh, I think that's really good advice. And we will definitely, Scott, uh, reschedule some more gaming-related conversations and advertising because I think uh, we're starting to see you know, the synergy emerging between these two universes in ways that are really quite unpredictable. And I think the more information we can give parents and educators Exactly. Why <laughs> is it? Here, here's the funny thought of the day. Like we, we, we think about the proverbial, you know, the, the kid speaking to their, their, the parent. I heard such and such on the playground today. Well, the upgraded version of that is I heard such and such from a whole variety of people that just happened to share my gaming interest, but it included adults and kids from around the world. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Like <laughs> what, how does that dinner conversation look? And sometimes I bet it's quite interesting. I'm sure it is. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for leaving us with that, Scott. That's, that's really kind. And, and this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate the chance to chat with you about this. That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, gaming, privacy, and obviously, as Scott just did, the challenges of high-tech parenting. Good luck, everyone. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. And I should probably try to lower my voice to sound more like Jethro, but you can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share this show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, Jethro is at Jethro Jones, and I am at Cybertraps. 
If you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. We appreciate having you in our audience. Look forward to having you join us for our next episode. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.